Welcome to Baseball Biz. I'm Mark Carbett, your host, and with me is none other than Mr. Brandon Noway. How are you doing today, Brandon? I'm doing pretty good, Mark. How about you? I am doing fan-freaking-tastic, my friend. You know, the sun's out. It's a wonderful day here, and uh, great times, great things happening. we got some great stuff to talk about on today's show, too. We're going to have a very special interview with Mr. Mark Warzewski, who is a columnist with the Fresno Bee. He has been covering the Fresno Grizzlies minor league team, and we'll talk about them and some of the changes they're experiencing with minor league baseball. We'll also take a look at what's happening with free agents in minor league baseball. Rule 5, what players are being impacted by that. As Super 2s, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Cleveland Indians, minor leagues overall, and we'll also talk a little bit about COVID, vaccines, and the 2020 season for Major League Baseball. All right, Brandon, it's starting out here, buddy. It's Things are still happening. You know, we talk about free agency. We talk about the hot stove. But as you and I discussed before, it wasn't until in like in February 2019 before Machado and Bryce Harper had signed on. And last year was just weird, too. So I don't know that there's a whole lot happening with free agency. What are you seeing on bubbling up? Well, I mean, it was a little bit of a slower week. Not a lot of big names out there have signed yet, as we expected. And this comes courtesy of The Athletic. We'll start with Dave Dombrowski. He's been named the new president of baseball ops for the Phillies. And the Texas Rangers, they traded center fielder, outfielder, Heriberto Hernandez, infielder, Oslevis Nasabi, and outfielder, Alexander Ovales, to the Rays for first baseman Nate Lowe, first baseman Jake Gunther, and a player to be named later. The Dodgers, they added veterans, right-handed pitchers Brandon Morrow, Jimmy Nelson, and Brock Stewart, along with left-handed pitcher James Pazos. With the Mets, they named Jared Porter their new GM, and they also agreed to a four-year, $40 million deal with James McCann. So that probably takes JT Real Muto out of the Mets sweepstakes. Wow. With the Red Sox, they signed Hunter Renfro to a one-year $3.1 million deal with 600000 in incentives. And he didn't have the greatest year last year with the Rays, but with that short left field and him being a righty, he could have a pretty big year up in Boston. He's a real talent. They're, they're fortunate to get him. I have no doubt that he'll shine here in the future. Yeah. And with the Royals, they re-signed Greg Holland to a one-year $2.75 million deal with performance bonuses that can raise up to four and a half. He's a three-time All-Star with a 191 ERA and six saves and 28 and a third innings for Kansas City last year. He spent his first seven years with Kansas City and then signed with Colorado in 2017. And he's had four seasons with 40-plus saves, but none since 2017. And lastly, we'll close out with the Yankees. They didn't sign anybody, but news came out that them and DJ LeMayhew are $25 million apart on a deal. So that's definitely a story worth watching. Yeah, I saw that too. And I was wondering if it was because of the number of years. I, I read one thing where the Yankees wanted to come up a year short, and it sounded like it would be a similar amount each year, but that uh, DJ LeMahieu wanted one more year on their contract with them. That's interesting, man. It's funny seeing the Yankees, you know, 
be a little hesitant with money. That's something we're not really used to seeing. Yeah, and especially with DJ LeMayhew. I mean, he is a brand character. He is a guy at the bat who makes what happens for that team. I mean, granted, the Yankees didn't have the best team in the world last year, but if they didn't have DJ LeMayhew in there at all, well, <laughs> it would have been a whole different thing. They would never have seen anything. Yeah, he's been like one of the top MVP candidates the past couple of years, and I think it'd be foolish to let him go, especially when a team across the city and the Mets are maybe considering going after him. I am really looking forward to that. And, you know, as much as I love the Yankees, uh, <laughs> I would love to see G DJ LeMayhew for the, with the Mets. I, I'm really interested in seeing what Steve Cohen's building, what, what that's going to be like in the next few years. Yeah, I'm curious to see what Yankees fans have to say about that statement. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're probably about as happy as Boston was about uh, Mookie Betts. So if that happens, if he indeed actually does not continue with them. All righty then. So that's what's bubbling on the hot stove and more to come. We'll cover that each week. So, Brandon, thanks for the updates on that. Some of the other things we talked about recently in past shows were one of them was the Rule 5. And the Rule 5, as you may remember, is when one major league team can pick a player from another major league team's minor leagues. If you had somebody who's been on your minor league team for like over four years or thereabouts, then another team can pick them. So basically you're not using them. So, hey, I like that guy. So each each team gets a chance that they can get a crack at. They can either participate with this or not. Pirates, I think, were, were pretty thirsty, especially since they got first choice. And taking a look, see who some of the folks that made it through there were seeing the Pirates selected Jose Seriano, who's a right-hand pitcher, and they picked him up from the Angels. The Rangers, they picked up uh, Brett Tegauss. He's a right-hand pitcher previously with the Dodgers. The Tigers picked up Akil Badu. He's an outfielder, and he was with the Twins. Red Sox, they got uh, they picked up Garrett Whitlock, who's a right-hand pitcher for the Yankees. <laughs> Orioles, Max Scurillo. Hope I got that right. He's a right-hand pitcher. He had been a right-hand pitcher for the Reds. The Diamondbacks, Zach Pop, right-hand pitcher, picked up from the Orioles. Rockies, Jordan Sheffield, right-hand pitcher from the Dodgers. Angels, Jose Riviera. Let's see, he had right-hand pitcher for the Astros. I'll just hit the other names. Mets picked up Luis Oviata. Mariners, Will Vest. Phillies, Kyle Holder. Giants, Daniel Nunez. Uh, let's see, Miami Marlins picked up Paul Campbell, who was a right-hand pitcher for the Rays. And the C Cubs picked up Gray Finter and the Indians, Trevor Steffen from the Yankees again. The A's picked up Kai Tom from the Indians. And the Orioles picked up uh, Tyler Wells from the Twins, right-hand pitcher. The A's picked up Danny Jimenez, also a right-hand pitcher from the Jays. <sighs> Sorry, guys. There's <laughs> quite a little bit of recitation there. But what we're looking at is from this year's Rule 5 draft, 18 players were picked. What is extremely interesting is looking at the number of these folks that were actually right-handed pitchers. A bulk, a very large bulk of those folks were right-hand pitchers. Now, I don't know, Brandon, do you think that a lot of people out there are seeing this and saying, that's somebody I need? Is, is it the individual and or as much the position? I, I don't know. I, I don't know either. I mean, 
I don't. I never really paid much attention to the Rule Five draft. Maybe this is just something that happens, but I mean, this draft was completely dominated by right-handed pitchers, and you know, there are, with matchups, maybe they were thinking about that, but I don't know. But that's definitely interesting to see. Expectations from Rule Five draftees isn't always the highest. I mean, there's outstanding. People like Roberto Clemente and others, I mean, I don't think it's been that long since there's been a great choice, but he's one of the most historically outstanding Rule 5 picks. And there is a lot of negotiation going on. I mean, when these people first come onto a team, I don't think they plan on being at the minors for four years. So that says something about their own stick to and the ability for a team to see some value in them to keep them there that long. So that I think... That's going to be interesting to see how some of these guys evolve. And another thing worth mentioning is it looked like the picks, uh, the majority of picks, well, I'm saying the majority, those who had the most picks from their teams, the Dodgers, the Yankees, and I think even the Rays had some, uh, some of the more teams that were pilfered, if you will, from their minor leagues. That, even though you lost a bunch of guys, that's technically a, a compliment to your your staff and your uh, your farm system because you have a lot of guys that people are interested in interested in and want to take for themselves. Yeah, exactly. Because like you said, I think it's a salute to them, a salute to their farm system, and saying obviously you have a very rich farm system because there's people there worth picking. You've done some things. It looks like they may be doing well with you, but we think we can bring them on our team and do better. So. Congratulations to all those Rule 5 draftees, and I wish them the best this year because they basically have a guarantee they're not going to be cut from the regular season. They will play out the entire season, and that is a lot. We won't get into the deviations that go beyond that. We talked about that in a past episode. With players, their careers are you know based on a lot of different things. One of them you and I talked about before once you come into the major league, and by that I mean actually first year with a minor league team, once you come into a major league, you have six years before you get to free agency. But you have three years. Once you finish complete your first three years, you can do some minimal arbitration with the team that you signed with. So then there's the Super Twos. Yeah, what the Super Twos is this, is that any player who comes into Major League Baseball has basically a six-year span before they can become a free agent. Now, in the first three years, your contract is your contract. In the second three years, you're able to negotiate maybe a little bit more above the minor league, major league base, which is like 500 plus thousand. And what happens is some players who've been there for virtually three years, but not a full three years, those folks at the very top of that can be what they call the super twos. Those players then are given eligibility as if they had completed three years and they can negotiate something with their teams. So there's a new crop each year. And usually we have an information about when that cutoff date is. I haven't seen that this year. Have you seen that? I haven't at all. And you'd think they'd have it out by now, but they haven't released anything. No, but you, you saw an article, who was it with uh, Ken Rosenthal about who was actually reaching the super two status this year? Oh yeah, Ken Rosenthal. Last last night, roughly, he tweeted out, you know, all of the guys that were qualified for Super Twos, and 
some pretty big names with the Yankees. You had Clint Frazier, Gleyber Torres, Luke Voigt, Max Fried with the Braves, Walker Bueller with the Dodgers, uh, Juan Soto, along with Yanni Chirinos and Ryan Yarbrough with the Rays. Uh, Carson Kelly with the Diamondbacks and J.D. Davis with the Mets, just to name a few. Yeah, I, I'm always glad to see these guys get a chance to actually receive monetary, uh, receive basically the funds for what their service is above and beyond that 500000 And when you see somebody like Bueller or you see somebody like Juan Soto or even uh, Brian Yarborough, I'm glad to see that they're able to negotiate at this point. So kudos to the class of 2020 and Super Twos. <laughs> and thank you, Ken Rosenthal, for sharing this information. I would love to see what those – I don't know. MLB seems to be slow when it comes to sharing information about finances and how they make certain decisions. I'd like to see them come out with that. I'd like to actually be able, as somebody who reports on baseball, to have the facts about why and when they're making these decisions. Yeah. Talk about making decisions. Cleveland has had to make some decisions. It's it's not surprising. There's been some remarks about who the mascots, who the brand is for a lot of these teams, whether it be cultural appropriation or just seemed disrespectful. Teams like the in football, the Washington Redskins, you know, there, there certainly there certainly was became some social awareness, if you would. So, hmm, maybe we should discontinue that. You know, maybe that's not actually being respectful. And there's enough Native Amer- Americans and First Nation people in Canada who say, "Quit that! Don't do that! That's that's wrong! It's disrespectful!" And you know, you you're going to meet some resistance with fans and traditionalists. But then, if you're actually thinking about the people overall. You've got to make some hard decisions. And they did. They didn't come up immediately with another name or another brand. They became the Washington football team. (laughs) Gosh. I I don't know. I kept waiting to see. You know, if you're a collector, I guess you're going to have a a big time keeping everything that the Redskins had before and then this non-year with a mascot and whatever they get next year. There's even a possibility people have talked about them keeping the name Washington football team. Well, that would be interesting. I mean, it's it's what they are, right? Uh, you and I have had this discussion before. Why should you be identified with an animal or some other kind of mascot? Your actual presence is with that community, so why not just be with that community? Yeah, it's something different and unique. Absolutely. Well, the the Indians, though, they've uh, they've gone on and— Decided to make some changes. It was interesting kind of looking back at some things and seeing that, what, they had actually been the Cleveland Naps. Anything like that, Naps. Like take a nap? That's what you would think. <laughs> there was actually uh, a coach who was, uh, I can't think of his full name, it was like Napoli, Nap, no, Napoli, somebody else. <laughs> a nap, <laughs> uh, and, and uh, Nape, I believe it was. And once he retired and left the team, and back around 2014, said, we need another name. You know, Naps isn't here, any- Nap isn't here anymore, so what are we going to name the team? And uh, lo and behold, Indians were selected. You know, some would say, well, it was first established saying the strength of those people. They, 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 maybe they were saying they deserve respect. But that idea obviously fell short, especially when you look in today's world. And what they evolved, a, a mascot called Chief Wahoo, which I didn't think was complimentary at all. Yeah, I've, I could see why people 
especially Native Americans, would be offended by Chief Wahoo because it, it makes that culture look like a bunch of a grinning idiot. Exactly. That's what I feel like. Exactly. And while they're still the Indians, they did, I believe, drop Chief Wahoo about a year ago. So that they had taken that step. I'm curious to see, you know, if they have, I, I don't think they'll have a new name by 2021 for the next upcoming season. I think they will in 2022. They may be, what do you think? Maybe this just be the Cleveland boss, excuse me, Cleveland baseball team this year. No, this year I hear they're keeping Indians for until 2022 when they hope to have a new name, which a lot of people say Cleveland Spiders is the favorite mm. to be the name, which, which sounds like it could be pretty cool, but it, it's not every day you get a team that's changing its identity, especially as much as we've had the past couple of years. I'll be interested to, is from a business perspective too, looking at what the cost of that is. And uh, I'm sure people are stocking up on gear that has the Cleveland Indians. And uh, you'll probably, probably look on eBay in a year and be able to charge a, they'll probably be charging quite a price for some of that. You know, a lot of collector's items. Indeed. But, you know, and then I have to wonder too, Brandon, uh, the, you take a look at the Atlanta Braves. And is that some another name that's going to be looked at? I mean, you can say one again. You can say, well, we're, we respect those people. And this is a way of saying Braves is, is a strong word. But some would still say, I guess, cultural appropriation. And uh, But then there's part of that, too. I mean, I, I would watch the Braves. I, I like them. Long ago, I remember seeing the media mogul owner, Ted Turner, in the stands. And there he was with his wife, actress Jane Fonda. And they were cheering on the team, but Brandon, what they were doing was the old tomahawk chop. So pop, 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 pop. And even if you take it, the name of the Braves and you say, well, that's okay. I don't think you can take the tomahawk chop and say that's okay. I think they've, they've asked people not to do it <laughs> anymore, but I, I, don't, I don't think that that's going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a weird time we're going through, especially with mascots. I mean, you have teams like the Indians changing their names and nobody knows what like Florida State with the Seminoles or the Chicago Blackhawks or Kansas City Chiefs, what they'll do. Even though theirs is a different case because I know Florida State for a fact works with the Seminole tribe. Right. Like their, their newest uniforms for football, I know they work together to do the, the shoulder designs. Like It means something in the Seminole language. I don't know exactly but they work with them, and I believe the the Chiefs and Blackhawks do as well. So, well, that's that's it's definitely wise. interesting to see where that goes. Yeah, I mean, and that that's a wise choice on their part. I mean, and if both can find some value in that, then it's, it's great. So, anyway, well, well, we'll look at more at that. Like I said, in a future episode, I want to take a look at what the cost is to do that. We know that there's a cost as far as public relations. And you could say maybe even ethical and moral costs by continuing on with a name that's affecting a lot of people who don't like it. So we'll take a look at that in a future episode. But as far as things that people don't like, one of the things I think anybody who's a fan of minor league baseball, this year has been very disheartening. And we're going to hear from Mark Warsowski here in a moment. We talked about earlier the Fresno Bee columnist. He's been there for years and covering the uh, Fresno Grizzlies, a minor league team there. But if before we get started and talking with him in the interview, I want to just remind folks what's happened in the last year. 
basically, Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball have been working together for years with something that's called the CB, no, PBA. PBA, Professional Baseball Agreement. And that expired September 30th. But long before that happened, negotiations were going on. Information was leaking out about what was being said. Rob Manfred was getting upset that information was leaking out about what was being said. A couple of things he was concerned about and wanted to negotiate is, one, he wanted to make sure there was no reason to have a team if it didn't take care of its players. And by that, he meant facilities. He meant player development. And he also meant what they were getting paid. And one of the things also was travel. So those are just a few of the ones he covered. And from that, he said, well, let's see, we have 160 minor league teams. We need to cut eh, 40 of them. Let's cut 40 teams. And I thought, well, damn, first off. And it came down so harshly, and it showed I didn't see a lot going on as far as negotiating with the minor leagues, Brandon. But I'm reading things now that he's still supposedly working with MILB, trying to hammer out some kind of contract. So this is impacting a lot of local communities. It's not just something where willy-nilly you're saying, okay, we're cutting these these teams. Suddenly there's going to be only 120 teams. What happened to those other 40 teams? What's happening in those communities? And now, Brandon, you were looking at it. I uh, was reading something from Sarah Sanchez, and she gave a different kind of insight. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Sarah Sanchez from BleakCubbyBlue.com wrote a really good article about, you know, sort of like the dark side of what's going on with this this deal. And it's something that really isn't getting attention, but I think it really should be. I mean, I sent it to you last night and you sounded shocked when we talked this morning about it. Yeah, it it really kind of hit me right between the eyes because I don't think people think enough about this. You and I talk about there's enough going on in the world with all the politics, with COVID-19, the vaccine, all that, very important things. But what falls to the side, you know? I mean, uh, if I look for international news on news, I'm never going to see that these days because evidently there's nothing happening but COVID. And minor league baseball is a footnote at best. I'm not seeing it covered, though, on sports news and this whole thing. So it's one of the things that Sarah talks about. And I'm what does she said here? Hang on. Uh, that, that our inability to care is a crucial part of MLB's plan. Yeah, I I think that's critical because that's what it goes to. That's the heart of it. If we as fans don't care, why should anybody else? So she was putting together some great stories on this, and it basically talks about how they're just— it basically talks about how Major League Baseball's turned away from the minors and as far as giving any kind of real negotiations, and that as long as we as fans don't care about it, as long as we as media people— don't talk about it. Nothing's going to happen. So the passion she had, I know, for, for her team with the Cubbies is strong. It's huge. But if nothing's being done, that's it. But but to show you what I think is part of the disrespect that MLB has for the local minor league teams is that when they negotiated saying which teams would be able to stay, they had some prerequisites, if you will. And why don't you touch on that for a sec? Yeah, she she wrote in this article commenting on an article by Evan Drellich. And 
that 120 teams are being asked to sign if they like to maintain their MLB affiliation. And you think, you know, you're signing a deal, you know, maybe it's like you got to commit to this, this much money or this amount of time. That's what you think it would be, right? Yeah. But MLB sent a 56-page document to the teams that it wants to partner with, outlining its terms, what is to be in the actual 10-year contract called a Professional Development License, or PDL, and the teams have until December 18th to decide whether they would like to go to the next step, which is a review of the actual PDL. And to move forward, MLB requires that minor league owners sign two things before they do that, a non-disclosure agreement and an indemnification of, to, of MLB. What that basically says is that minor league owners at this point are not formally agreeing to be partners. That's, that comes when they actually review the PDL. So the decision of those teams now is if they're considering a lawsuit against MLB, they'd be signing those rights away in order to review the full PDL. It's interesting that they actually did come up with a 10-year agreement. And I'm curious if MLB is allowing anybody to do a 10-year agreement, That's uh, that was kind of interesting in of itself. I mean, for operations, and if you're going to make a commitment to having a team, at a minor league level, I'd want to have that much. I actually would want a contract for 10 years. Yeah, and going on, MLB teams will lose their ability to disclose information about the partnership or any challenging elements of it legally as a prerequisite to seeing the agreement. So it's basically, if you want to see this agreement, you got to sign this. You can't talk about it. You can't sue us or anything. You basically, you can't do anything about it. And... Failure to agree to either the NDA or indemnification of MLB would lead MLB to move on to offer that partnership to another team that just lost its affiliation. Uh, so it's basically, if you don't like this, oh, well, too bad. We'll go on to the next team who will agree with it. Well, that, that tells us a lot. And, you know, I'm looking forward to see more about this, but I really would like to see mainstream sports media those who have some impact, cover these things. It's just not happening. If Tony LaRusso does something stupid, God knows they'll talk about that for five minutes. And not to say that it isn't newsworthy. But this is very sports newsworthy. If you're actually a sports journalist and not just a parrot for MLB, please consider digging deeper on this. I, I come on, I know I come on with a very strong opinion about some of this. But there's people in these communities who have to live there and make reasonable agreements with MLB. And one of those, again, of course, we talked earlier, the Fresno Grizzlies. They are able to stay in as a minor league. But one of the things that changed is they are no longer a triple-A affiliate. They are now a single-A affiliate. And the interview we got here in a moment with Mark Wachowski He's going to go into some of that. He's going to he's going to share his thoughts. He's going to share what he's seen, you know, the development of the team, the Chuck Chansey Park where they play, and I'm looking forward to that. So we're going to go ahead and listen to Mark right now. So thank you, guys, and we'll come right back after the interview. Well, folks, we're very fortunate here today to have Mark Washinsky with us, talking with us about the Fresno Grizzlies. As many of you may know, Major League Baseball has decided to contract from 160 teams that were with the minor leagues down to 120. And 
that impacted a lot of teams, not just merely whether or not they were going to be able to continue to participate with an affiliation with Major League Baseball, but also at what level and at what team they'd still be affiliated with. So, Mark, again, I want to thank you for coming here today and kind of share with us because you are a columnist and have been for, I guess, for a while here with the Fresno Bee and done an outstanding job with that. So you covered both business, sports, and a lot of other things. But you have been really taking a tight look at the changes that have happened with the Grizzlies and the back and forth with Major League Baseball in the city. And I was wondering if you kind of give us a hint of what's happened over the last few weeks. What were, what were the where were you guys with the, the Grizzlies and where are you now? Thank you for having me. It's good to be here and to talk baseball with you. Um, yes, I'm Mark Warzaski. I'm a columnist at the Fresno Bee. I've been here for about 21 years now. I started out as a, you know, a sports writer. In fact, I was the Fresno Grizzlies Bee writer way back in 2000 and 2001, a long time ago before. So I've been around with the, the team for a long time and, you know, our roles have changed over the years, but, you know, I love baseball. So I always pay attention to what's going on with the Grizzlies. The Fresno Grizzlies came into existence in 1998 as a AAA franchise in the Pacific coast league, which is one of the two AAA leagues that uh, well, there was three at that time. Now there's only two. They came into existence as a giants, uh, AAA you know, they were their farm club, the top farm club from 1998 to 2014. And the Giants uh, left Fresno for Sacramento. The Grizzlies picked up the Astros yeah, for four years. And uh, the last two years, they were actually with the, you know, they started becoming a little more nomadic. They started picking up, you know, the Washington Nationals, which was a tough uh, deal, you know, because of obviously because of the distance. But, you know, last year there was no minor league baseball. So that really was a one-year deal. So now what's happened within Major League Baseball's grand reshuffling, you know, they've elevated two, you know, an independent team, the St. Paul Saints to AAA, and then two AA teams to AAA. So they needed to reduce three teams. And two AAA teams in Texas, well, I think it's Wichita and San Antonio, I think went down to AA. But the Fresno Grizzlies, since there's no other, uh, you know, professional baseball in California, the only other option is the California League. And, of course, the California League is shifting from high A ball to low A ball. Yeah. Uh, so, so the Fresno Grizzlies are going from a triple A team to all the way to low A ball in one move. And that's basically that story is what's been playing out here in Fresno for the last um, couple of weeks. You know, is it uh, 120 teams, right, are now in affiliated baseball, 120 minor league clubs? And the Fresno Grizzlies were the last team to, to get an invitation. They were the last domino to fall in this big process because, you know, again, you, we, you know, we can talk a little bit more about it, but it's, it's a big drop going from AAA to low A, and there's a lot of ramifications for the city and, uh, you know, otherwise. So, yeah, that's what's happened here. Wow. Uh, that, that's fantastic. Well, it's not fantastic. It's scary is what the hell it is, actually. I mean, I'm sitting here, and if I had a team that I loved, I would still enjoy watching them. But, but to me, it would almost be an insult, okay? I, I would I'd feel a sense of disrespect from the major leagues. And I was watching the numbers as all this was progressing. I said, oh, we're up to 119 teams. What's going to be that 120th? What's, oh, I see they're still negotiating. Okay, what's going on in Fresno? So there is a lot of back and forth right. there. And I, was, I was wondering if, if you guys were still going to be on the roster. I mean, 
it seemed like it was either you're going to take this or you're not going to be with us, meaning from MLB to the city. Yeah, that was basically, that was the ultimatum that the city sent in a letter, you know, from their, you know, deputy commissioner in charge of all their legal affairs basically said, you take this low A deal or you're not going to be in affiliated ball at all. And that's it. And, uh, you know, city of Fresno, we have, a, you know, a, you know, in 2002, they built a $46 million AAA stadium that, you know, with 12,500 seats. And again, fewer now because of some, you know, renovations, 32 luxury boxes. It has a beautiful club level, you know, it has indoor batting cages, you know, clubhouses, all the room for, you know, everything, you know, uh, AAA team needs, you know, coaches offices, they need, uh, in addition to clubhouses, they need like uh, training rooms of a certain size. You know, they, uh, there's all, you know, family areas. Oh, wow. Kinds of demands, you know, AAA stadium has, you know, and uh, so this, they built a facility that meets all those demands. And yet now it's, uh, and uh, we're still paying that, you know, $3.1 million a year in, you know, construction bonds to pay off this facility. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it changes the business model when you go from AAA to low A like that. And, and you know, and I'll just tell you a little bit more about where I am, um, Fresno. We're in the middle of, we're in Central California in the middle of the Central Valley. It's a city, Fresno is a city of 540,000 people. We have Clovis next door, which is 120,000. So you've got, you know, 650,000 people basically living in the same blob. And Fresno County itself has a million people. So there's a lot of people here, you know, we're not, uh, you know, not obviously not as big as the Bay area or L or LA. So people don't know about us, but Fresno is the fifth largest city in California. You know, it would take us about three hours to get to San Francisco to get to AT&T park, maybe three and a half hours to get to Dodger stadium. So, you know, people in Fresno are, uh, you know, you're either a Dodger fan, a Giants fan and third place is the A's, you know, and, Maybe there's Angels and Padres fans here <laughs> and Yankees fans or, or, you know, wherever, Cubs fans and all that. But, you know, generally the people's allegiances here are to the Bay Area teams or to the L.A. teams. Um, and it's pretty split. But, you know, so we're not large enough to have our own major league uh, franchise here. You know, that's never going to happen. So we have a long history of AAA baseballs. But there's a Fresno Cardinals affiliate in the 40s and 50s. Then the Fresno Giants the class A California team from the uh, late fifties to all the way to the late 1980s until the facility they were playing in was, you know, was condemned for being structurally unsound. Then we went for about 10 years without having any affiliated baseball at all. And there was a, and that was a big absence. You know, there's been a lot of uh, baseball has been good baseball. You know, I mean, Tom Seaver is a Fresno native. That's the most famous name, but I could name several other major leaguers, from Fresno, whose names you'd be familiar with too. So this area has a great baseball tradition. So there was absence. The absence of baseball was felt when we didn't have it. And there's a lot of excitement to get that downtown stadium built. Um, You know, it was kind of seen as a, you know, part of a revitalizing our downtown here in Fresno, which, you know, like a lot of cities is, you know, kind of lost some of its uh, luster over the years due to sprawl and other things. That's a common trait, but, Anyway, so we invested a lot in baseball. We invested in a stadium, and for 20 years or so, the Grizzlies did pretty well. It was about middle of the pack in attendance, I would say, as far as AAA teams go. Never really at the top, but never close to the bottom. 
but yeah, and so now and here we go. Now that now things have changed, so it'll be interesting. Well, I mean, a couple of things. One, you guys had a good year in 2015 and 2018, if I remember correctly. Y'all were doing really well with the, the Pacific Coast League then. And so, right. I mean, I wouldn't take anything at all away from the Grizzlies. You guys did a fantastic job. And just a point of interest for me, I was, you know, you were talking about being with the Giants was it for about 16 years or thereabouts. Right. And the proximity, like you said, just what, three hours down the road. So that has actually been kind of a – you hear that as one of the deciding factors of how MLB is moving along. The Marlins down here in Miami, you know, now they're up there with Jacksonville, which is, which is a trek still. <laughs> it's, it's, right. it's not all the way across to Washington from California, but, I mean, I would Washington, D.C., that is, from California, what, what you guys had with the Nationals. Right, right. Uh, you know, I mean, I know that's a factor, but the, the other factor, I mean, is the, you know, one of the things that – Manford was talking about early on were, were facilities. Now, I'm talking about single A and such below, but you guys have had, I mean, what is, what is it? Was it, uh, like I said, over 12,500 seats? It's about six, it's about 10,800 now. They took out some because they added like a kids' play area and a, <laughs> like an outdoor bar, you know, where you can have drinks and, you know, down left field line, you know. So it's, it's uh, they took out, so those are places where anybody can go. So it's just more of a family-friendly, you know, better atmosphere because, you know, in 2020, nobody sits in their seats and watches nine innings. They want to go to, like, a social area, right? And so, you know, the owner, we, we, uh, the Grizzlies have good, strong ownership. You know, for a while, that was kind of a question mark. We had, we, was on, the team was on the market for a couple of years, and, you know, it was uh, not necessarily looking good. But, you know, ownership group uh, you know, came in a couple of years ago. They're headed by the – Ray and Michael Baker are the owners. Um, they're actually based out of Denver. I think they have a little piece of the Rockies and maybe one of those rookie league teams that is no longer an affiliated baseball. And they've uh, ownership came in and you know made about four million dollars in improvements and upgrades to the stadium. I mean, they signed a long-term deal wow. with the city here, so things were actually looking pretty stable from that point of view. You know, and actually, you know, it's taken a long time, but the city has done a few things to help, you know, finally kind of try to revitalize downtown. And so the area around the stadium, like of the last five or six years, has really picked up. I mean, there's more to do and there's more reasons to go down there than, you know, for a while. It was really kind of like the beacon on the hill. <laughs> there was hardly anything to do downtown except for to go to a baseball game. But uh, that's certainly changed. So, um, yeah, it's it's a. Uh, it's been rough. You know, what we always hear is, you know, we have, there's five major league baseball teams in California, right? Four, four. I just said four, <laughs> yeah. four major league baseball teams. It could teams be in changing California. as well, we five. speak. No, I was right originally, go with my brain, right? There's five major league baseball teams in California. So it would make the most sense if one of those wanted to have their AAA team, you know, team in Fresno, right? Yeah, yeah. That's really how it's gone you know the the angels have a long-term agreement with salt lake city they've been there for a long time apparently it works for them you know the padres are in el paso they've been el paso since its existence apparently that relationship's fine you know the dodgers their owners own the oklahoma city dodgers so that's obviously that's where their triple a team is going to be right and the oakland a's you know which Maybe eventually if there's some MLB expansion, if it's in Vegas, they might end up here. But, you know, the A's, uh, you know, which I think would make a lot of sense for them to have their AAA team here. They haven't been interested so far. 
Um, and right now they're in a great situation in Las Vegas with a beautiful new stadium, you know, there that replaced the one that was terrible. I mean, Las Vegas used to be the worst place to be in AAA, you know, because of the facility. And now it's one of the best because of the facility. So the A's are happy to be there. So anyway, it's been one of those situations where the, the Grizzlies, the Fresno Grizzlies have not been able to, you know, main, get a relationship with the West Coast, you know, major league team. The Arizona Diamondbacks are in Reno, for example. Obviously, uh, Seattle Mariners are in Tacoma. That works for them. That's very yeah. close. And then, uh, you know, the Rockies and Albuquerque are pretty close to each other. So Fresno hasn't been – after the Giants left, going with the Astros was really great because we got to see some great prospects. Carlos Correa came in. You mentioned 2015 – the Grizzlies won the AAA champ, national championship that year, right? So that was the most successful on-the-field season the team has ever had. That relationship with the Astros was great, but they weren't going to be here long-term necessarily. And once they left in that game of musical chairs, Fresno was kind of getting stuck. You know, the one issue that we – the one thing we do hear about here in Fresno is our air airport, you know, it's not as good as some other airports. We don't have as many direct flights – as other places, it's harder to get here. And, you know, obviously for the Washington Nationals, it's harder to get here. You know, it's harder to get here than some other places. But but honestly, if you look at, like, you, know, you compare it to, like, Reno's airport or Albuquerque's airport, El Paso's airport, we're very comparable to that. You know, so it's just one of those things that uh, we just got unlucky. We weren't able to, you know, didn't have a, a – once the Giants left, they didn't hook up with somebody that was going to be here for the long term. Well, and, and see, that, that's the thing, too. When, when you're talking about the airport, it, I wouldn't say it's a non-issue, but I s- sometimes think it's just one more thing they like to plink on top to say, oh, here's a reason we're not going to do it. Uh, right. Pardon me. I, I would like – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're right. I think that, that it does add to it. But I wouldn't say the airport here is necessarily worse than some other trip. <laughs> right? It's just, you know, you, you can compare El Paso, Reno, Albuquerque. They're not – they don't have more flights to more places than, than Fresno does. So – and it's definitely not more out of the way. But again, it's just people are you know they've had those those cities have have uh, have good ties with uh, you know with their MLB affiliates. But you know who knows there could be some shaking up if MLB ever decides to expand. That was one of the things that you know MLB didn't promise anything to the city of Fresno, but they did say in writing that you know if if there was ever any expansion, they would encourage you know the, that a team to place his Triple A team here. I think that made people feel good. Because I guess some people think that I guess Las Vegas might be, a, you know, one of the leading – Las Vegas and Nashville, I guess, are the two cities that get thrown around the most. And then we hear Portland and the Carolinas. If there was West Coast expansion out here, perhaps Fresno could find itself back into AAA. Yeah, I, I see that as a real possibility. I mean, were you talking to about seeing certain players coming up through the system or – Maybe they're had injuries and they're coming back in, in a rehab and you get to see them there at the AAA at Fresno. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love living here in Florida because there's all kinds of training areas around here where teams go down. Sometimes a single-A team, like the Rays down to Port Charlotte with Stone Crabs, of course, that's no longer an affiliation. But you would be able to see a major league player in a minor league stadium, and that happened a lot. But the also thing is you went there for the game, and as you were pointing out too, a lot of the fans that come there, it's not necessarily I'm going to be there for nine innings. They may come in there. Or they, they may come in after a couple of innings have already started, you know, because they were getting the kids ready and everything else. And it wasn't a set deadline that you were going to be there two hours early, see batting practice and everything else in the game. 
So I guess I have my question is this. Those who love baseball and are really into it, they want to see those young players coming up. And even those who are like in rehab, they want to see them there on that local AAA team and or maybe even a, a lower team, depending on proximity. Mm. But, but as far as the majority of fans, say for the Fresno Grizzlies, how much, how important is that compared to just being able to have the, the baseball experience to be a family day out? Well, we were going to find out, right? I mean, yeah. even most fans fall into the latter category, right? right. It's just a baseball experience. The stadium is really nice. It's double deck. You know, it looks like a miniature Major League Park. You know, and just to go out there for that baseball experience and have fun and family-friendly atmosphere, you know, I think that's most folks. And if you look at the Grizzlies' attendance, I mean, last year was 55, 5,600, I believe, and it was about middle of the pack for the PCL. Yeah. That was double the highest amount in the Cal League that they're joining, right? So, so again, I wouldn't expect that number to fall off dramatically. There might be some people, you know, I mean, as far as rehabs go, I mean, uh, you know, I don't know how that'll, how the, the Colorado Rockies will handle that. You know, I would say that that was, you know, those, those drew some of the biggest uh, crowds when you'd have a big name to come down to AAA, like a Randy Johnson or. Oh, yeah. You know, that was a monster name, uh, biggest one that I can, one of the bigger ones I can think of. Even Nomar Garcia Parra on a visiting team. Um, I remember Andres Galarraga hitting like the longest home run I've ever seen at that stadium um, when he was on a rehab. But, you know, the people that you remember, though, are the people that are coming up. You know, for, you know, for the Giants for a while, it was Barry Bonds era. So player development wasn't too important to them. They were just signing free agents and trading prospects. But then they got to we got the Buster Posey's and the Madison Bumgarners, Matt Keynes, and of course Tim Lincecum is probably the single most memorable player that we've had in Fresno, just from a pure talent standpoint. I mean, it was ridiculous. That memory stands out the most as far as uh, watching him pitch here. I mean, I think he made five AAA starts and he was four and zero with a .29 ERA. Wow up for you. He gave up one run in 31 innings. Oh, and he was removed from he was removed from two no hitters after the seventh inning. Like so, that was the most untouchable, craziest pitcher. I mean, most talent I'd ever seen on a pitching mound in the stadium. And of course, he wasn't here long, and you know, he had a, won two Cy Youngs until his uh, you know kind of body gave out on him. But very memorable. And then the Astros, uh, you know, we had uh, some talent here too. I mentioned Carlos Correa, but that, you know, he was pretty memorable too. But I, you know, I'd like to think that people would come out for those, but you know, what's funny is that it didn't, it wasn't really true. When Madison, you know, Tim, there was some buzz for Tim Lincecum and Madison Bumgarner, Matt Cain, Buster Posey, but the bigger buzz came is after they became giants and won the world series, then everybody was, Oh, they came through Fresno. How great was that, right? And so their bobblehead doll promotions or seeing the World Series World Series trophy coming to town was actually a bigger deal than when they were actually pitching or playing catcher for the Grizzlies. That attracted the hardcore baseball prospect guy. But as far as, you know, the average people and hype and people getting excited, that happens, you know, after they win the World Series. And you say, hey, he was in Fresno, you know. That's, that's really how it goes, unfortunately. You, know, you, you can't make it here until you make it somewhere else bigger. You know, that's, 
Well, that, yeah, that's a, it's kind of a shame, but it is how we kind of work as fans, some of us anyway. And I get that. I, I'd like to kind of jump for a moment here, too, looking at is it Chuck Chancy Park where the Fresno Grizzlies play. And you were talking about the initial investment of that and the still paying off the cost of it. I was in your article, I was reading one of the things was it's through different ownerships, the rent of the stadium has kind of gone down significantly as far as yes. being paid by the owners. Yes, the original lease agreement between the, the first Grizzlies owners, and this group had been fighting to get a AAA team and stadium built here for nearly a decade before it happened. I mean, the, the team took almost a decade, and the stadium took you know, even longer. But yeah, originally they were paying $1.5 million a year, in, which was like more than double what any other minor league baseball team in the country was paying, right? So it was bad terms to begin with, terms that weren't going to be able to be met. But again, I wasn't involved in that, those negotiations or that process. But yeah, so the league is, the, the lease, you know, the rent has gone down from $1.5 million to $1 million. And then it was renegotiated to 500000 I guess I want to say this is in 2008 or nine. And then the new owners had another lease, which I think, you know, four years ago where the rent stayed the same, but how they arrived at that number was a little different, you know, the calculations. And now new, the new lease now with the expected revenues of a low A team, you know, is now $100,000. Wow. You know, and the city is paying $3.1 million a year stadium bonds. So, yeah, financially, it's 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 uh, still about three million in the hole. If you <laughs> just from that alone, uh, there's some other revenue sharing and some other ways to you know make that m- number shrink a little bit, but it doesn't shrink much. City of Fresno still subsidizing baseball to the tune of about you know two and a half to two point seven million a year. Well, it's it's obviously led by the people and certainly the council and the mayor for for taking that extraordinary move to was I think uh, insuring it for like another 10 years. Is that correct? Another 10 years. And I think that was important just to make sure that we they'd have baseball here. And, and I think that's a, a new step that major league baseball is taking, right? That, you know, it used to be major league baseball wasn't, didn't seem like they were negotiating with the municipalities, yeah. right? Negotiating with the owner of the team. And then the team would negotiate with the city and, you know, and the lease was one of the leverages that the, the team ownership had in its dealings with Major League Baseball. Well, now I think the city, you know, especially in this case, with such a drastic reduction in level, they wanted assurance from Major League Baseball that there was going to be a team here long term, you know, and I think Major League Baseball was uh, probably concerned about litigation, right? Well, is this is the city of Fresno going to take us to court over this? Is the team going to take us to court? So, I mean, that's part of the agreement, too, is that the city of Fresno – you know, uh, released all claims of any litigation against MLB. But in return, they got a guarantee that there's going to be a team here for 10 more years. And there's even some wording of it to be longer. Um, The wording is not as strong as through 2030, but MLB is saying it's going to use its best effort to have, have affiliate baseball here through at least 2036. So, again, that's not a guarantee. That's not a contract. Letter that they have sent. So, you know, I guess we're referring it to an assurance letter. So this kind of new dynamic between Major League Baseball and minor league affiliates, and you know, we're kind of seeing it play out here in Fresno because, again, it was this was what the trickiest uh, trickiest domino to fall because of the long fall the team in the city is taking. 
I'm glad to see the support that you all are getting for the Grizzlies from the city council and a 10 year agreement. I, I think that shows kind of a commitment, but it is major league baseball and I won't say more <laughs> about that, but whether you've got to cover the costs of the stadium still, I'm, it shows like a commitment. I think where it's achievable to get where you guys need to be. So, I mean, I'm excited to, to be able to, I love going out. I mean, I go down and see from here the Bradenton Marauders for the Pirates. I go ahead and see the Flying Tigers in Lakeland for Detroit. Those games to me are exciting. And Mm -hmm. as a baseball fan, yes, I love seeing the players come up or some of them come down for rehab. But even if they weren't there, I'm going to go to that game. I enjoy the heck out of it. And I I hope all the fans there continue to do so as well. I I was wondering before we go any further, I'd like to hear – do you have a personal story about the Grizzlies that you'd like to share with us? Some uh, special, memorable moment? I, I think I mentioned earlier the on the field moment, the Lincecum is, you know, kind of the highlight, right, of, of that, right? So that's what stands out to me. I mean, I remember the first game at the new stadium, um, you know, sold out there. Oh, this was an exhibition game. The Giants were actually in town, one of the rare times the Giants came to Fresno. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a mixed bag of uh, a mixed bag of Grizzlies and Giants playing, you know, other minor leaguers. Right. It was. And uh, but it was that was a fun atmosphere. Just the first game here. And I remember it's memorable to me because Tom Goodwin, former Dodgers and Mets speedster outfielder, he's a Fresno native. He, he scored the winning run for the Grizzlies against the Giants in that <laughs> game. And the place went totally bonkers. You know, that was uh that was a good one too. And then, uh, you know, winning, you know, and, and when they won the triple a, uh, gosh, the triple a championship was at a neutral site. And I want to say that the triple a world series clinching win, I don't remember if it was here or not, but one of those, you know, when they won the division or they won one of the playoff games, you know, that was pretty cool. Um, you know, cause the game meant something, you know, those minor league games, you know, mean something so rarely, but you could actually feel like, that was a meaningful game. So, and the team had not been very good, you know, uh, you know, in the, in the standings for most of its existence also, you know, one thing I, another thing I want to tell you that I didn't haven't said is that, you know, the Grizzlies themselves have been a great minor league baseball organization, right? I mean, they've been, you know, as far as the way they're managed, you know, their promotions, you know, they've had some of the most, some of the best marketing, some of the best promotions. I mean, it's, it's been known throughout the country. Some of the things they've done, they've been real trendsetters about, you know, the, their alter ego of the Fresno tacos. When they did that five years ago, that was totally new. Now everybody does that, right? <laughs> so it, was a, it was a copy, you know, they were the first team to kind of adopt the alter ego, you know, and so now that's commonplace. And they've done a lot of interesting things that get them uh, publicity. Had a couple of missteps over the years, but it's been, you know, overwhelmingly, the good stuff they've done has is, is been overwhelmingly more than the bad. So I think that it's good just to see that, you know, and their management team is that they've done a good job. Um, the other part of it is now we're in this California league where, you know, the, the other teams, you know, Visalia, Stockton, Modesto, San Jose, you know, and then there's some teams in Southern California there, you know, those are all within driving distance, you know, Visalia is 45 minutes from Fresno, you know, Modesto is an hour, an hour and a half, Stockton, an hour and a half. So maybe there's a little rivalry with some of the other, you know, teams that, you know, might develop a little bit. That might be interesting. Maybe there'll be a rivalry develop with 
Visalia, uh, you know, for example. So they're diamond, uh, Diamondbacks affiliate. You know, who knows? You know, I'm not sure if that'll do anything, but it'll be different. Well, it is, I mean, it does sound like there's a lot of exciting things, even with this change with a lot of people didn't necessarily welcome, you know, going from AAA to single A. The idea of having other teams in the area, like you said, the competition and drawing fans from those markets, you know, to you all as well and vice versa. So it does look like there's a lot of good possibilities and strength for the Fresno Grizzlies ahead. I'm glad to see that. It is so easy to sit back in a desk from somewhere and point over to Fresno and say, oh, my gosh, look at all the terrible things going on there. Well, it wasn't ideal. But the thing of it is, you guys, Fresno, has taken a positive attitude toward this. They got a 10-year agreement with MLB. There's opportunities, looks like, for the future. And you're going to go ahead and persist, I mean, and grow the things you've done with promotions, like I said, and the interaction with other cities. I'm excited about this. I'm, I'm certainly going to be watching you guys a lot more closely. Well, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, and again, I, the AAA baseball, the level of AAA baseball, people don't realize it's, you know, it's not major league level, but it's not that far down. And so low A ball for, for real, disc, you know, baseball observers and purists and people who really know the game. I think that's going to be a little bit of a difference for folks. Uh, obviously the players are going to be younger, you know, low A ball, you get, you know, uh, you know, college, you know, fresh out of college and then also international players who've kind of earned their first shot at, you know, full season ball. I think that's one of the reasons the Cal league went to low A because it was high A for a long time. But I think, uh, you know, the weather, um, I think my understanding is that major league teams, you know, especially the international players, you know, that have come through short season league or Dominican league or instructional leagues, they want to start them off in a league where there's not going to be so many rainouts. I guess the Midwest League, Northwest League, those high A leagues are, t- are tough because there's so many early in the year, there's so many rainouts, difficult for development of young players. So that's what I've heard. That's why the Cal League is now a low A league. So who knows? There'll be teenagers out there, younger, much younger players. Triple A, we would have guys in their 30s in uniform, right? It was, wasn't that on <laughs> guys that are still hanging on. You know, the average age of Triple A is 27. I think now it's 21, so it'll be different. Well, again, I'm, I'm excited for you guys. Where it's, uh, just, like I said, wasn't necessarily the change a lot of people wanted to see, but uh, Fresno sounds like a great town to be there for, for baseball. And I wish you guys continued success, Mark. I appreciate you taking the time with us here at Baseball Biz today to kind of give us some insight instead of just looking at numbers on a page from some national story. You really gave us a feel for what's happening right now there with the Grizzlies and Fresno. So thank you very much. I wish you, the team, and uh, everything that you're doing with Fresno B as a columnist, writer, uh, continued success, and uh, hope we get to talk again sometime soon. All right. Well, nice talking to you. Have, thanks for having me on. Thank you, Mark. I want to say thank you again to Mark Warsowski. He did a fantastic job of sharing with us what's going on in Fresno and with the Grizzlies, telling us a bit about their history and what their future is going to look like. So I, I applaud him. I applaud the people of Fresno, and I wish the Grizzlies the absolute best in the future. Yeah, that was, that was a really great interview to listen to and get perspective from a, a real a minor league community. Indeed. Like I said, I could sit up on my high horse all day. I'm not going to know the things that he knows. I'm not going to have the attachment that he has. You know, my attachment has been to a major league team. I love going to minor league teams, and 
I hate seeing what happened to the the Charlotte Stone Crabs, a, a team of the Rays is going to disappear. You know, they did what they had to do in Fresno to keep a team, and God bless them, and I, I wish them all the best. But now we have breaking news. Teletype, teletype, what's going on? <laughs> okay, and breaking news, and yeah, maybe it's breaking, breaking not, and that is the 2021 baseball season. What's it going to look like? Who's going to be there? How many games are there going to be? And the how many games that they're going to be is what we're going to talk about right now. That's kind of a bone of contention. I was looking at some stuff on the athletic and elsewhere, and it looks like players are not warming up to the idea that what MLB is proposing, and that's a limited game season this year. Ouch. I also saw something, too, very interesting. They want to do it now, but they didn't want to do it last year. But a shorter season with prorated salaries. Hmm, that doesn't sound surprising. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound surprising. I mean, I know they're they're singing the blues about revenue. They're gonna they're gonna do fine, meaning MLB, but I don't doubt that the players, you know, they want to play a full season if at all possible. But there's there's a lot of concern too. I know some of them about, of course, COVID. COVID was the big restrictor last year. It's a deadly thing. The season getting started last year had some real heavy bumps. When you look at the Cardinals and Miami and some others. Bam, I didn't know what was going to happen with the season anyway. Even though we're only roughly two months out from spring training, three from opening day when it usually is, that that's actually like an eternity with this virus, it seems like. Because, you know, it could go like very bad and then it'll be go down and it'll be pretty good times. People start getting more comfortable going back to more normal things and it'll go back up. And with this vaccine now coming out, we what will it be like in another few months? That's something to see how it affects the world then. I, I will be interested in seeing that too, Brandon. I know one of the things I'm curious about is with the vaccine, they're obviously looking at healthcare work, workers and some people in nursing homes and that sort of thing and getting it out to them first. I was hearing some concerns. Are celebrities and sports figures going to get first crack at this as well? And I don't think that would be received too well by the general public. I don't know how much. I mean, like I said, we're getting real close to spring training, and I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know that they're going to be able to have a full season this year. I mean, I believe they could do a full season. Will they do it? I, I don't know. I think, you know, we could get another shorter season, get closer to the more preferred game amount, and maybe like 120, which, you know, would be pretty nice. We could get to see that, what it looks like. But I think a full season definitely is doable. Right. But will they do it? I, I don't know. Well, we'll keep our eyes open on that, and we'll share with folks, you know, future baseball biz, how that's developing. So that uh, that's a very real thing. I mean, early, you know, last year you and I were saying, oh, is there even going to be a season? You know, we had a spring training one, then we had a spring training two. And some said, well, the pitchers don't have enough time to warm up their arms, and they can have possibly more injuries. And there was a whole lot of concern about that. I felt like overall last year with their COVID protocols, they did a pretty good job. You know, it wasn't an NBA bubble, but it was it was pretty good. Yeah, they, they deserved credit for what they were able to accomplish, even though it wasn't the smoothest or the prettiest. And they pretty much changed the game and flipped it upside down on its head to get the season done. But 
they did what they needed to do and they got a, a season in and they crowned a champion. Well, let's hope they can all get together on this and, and make some good decisions and uh, you know, safe decisions for everybody as well. I'm hoping that we have fans in the stands. I don't necessarily think it'll be opening day, but maybe midway through the season. I, I don't know. We'll see. I know Stu Sternberg says, well, I don't have that many fans anyway, so it won't be hard for me to do to take care of that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Nothing to worry about there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Well, you know, I want to kind of end this note, a, a kind of sad and, and a happy note. I mean, country music lost a legend this past week, Mr. Charlie Pratt. You know, he's known for a lot of songs. One of them is Kiss an Angel Good Morning. And you might wonder why we're talking about him here on Baseball Biz. That's because he was a much more diverse person than you might imagine. And... Not just country music, while it was his love, he also had a love for baseball. Here's a man who started out in the Negro Leagues and then in minor leagues. And years later, he became an owner, a part owner of the Texas Rangers. So I guess that put him in good company like with George Bush and his his partial (laughs) owner of the Rangers. But he was somebody who would go out and sing the national anthem. He was beloved by the Texan fans, by the Rangers fans. He would even go into the locker room and play for the team sometimes before they go to the field. I have a, it's not really like a fun fact. It's kind of a disturbing fact more than that, but definitely interesting if you'd like to hear it. Yeah, please do. Well, like you said, he played baseball, and during that time the Negro Leagues was still around, and it was sort of towards the end when, you know, MLB was becoming more integrated. And he said that when he was with the Louisville Clippers, who was a newer team in the league, they needed money. So they contacted the, the Black Barons and they made a trade with him and Jesse Mitchell for money. And they used that money to buy a team bus. So oh, wh- they basically traded two guys for a bus. What? I mean, wait, wait a minute. You're, you're saying that... I mean, I hear of all kinds of trades, but <laughs> trading trading players for equipment? Uh, yeah, that's that probably wouldn't fly no. today, but I I guess that's something they did back then. No, yeah, that that would like I said didn't fly. <laughs> wouldn't fly today, and that is a rather interesting transaction. Well, Charlie Pride, you know, he did a great job. Like I said, as a musician, loved to hear his music, and today, I was actually listening to some of it yesterday. You know, it's what he did with baseball. It's it's amazing. You you look at somebody who is around. I mean, you hate to see these, hate to see anybody pass, but hate to see a legend like that, who has a finger in the past, who has a I should say has a footprint in the past, having participated with like the Negro Leagues, and it's becoming rarer and rarer to find somebody with that history as time passes. He's. I didn't really listen to his music. I've heard of him and. Hearing his story and just looking him up, it definitely an, an interesting guy. And the more you hear about him, the the more interesting he becomes. Well, make sure you put Charlie Pratt as, as a station on your Pandora, <laughs> just an artist on your Pandora, and, and check him out if you haven't. Uh, again, Baseball Biz salutes him, his lifetime in music and his lifetime in baseball and all that he's given to us. And uh, sorry to see you go, Charlie, but you leave a great legacy behind you. Well, that's it for Baseball Biz. You got any other nuggets there, Brandon, we need to talk about? 
Uh, not at the moment. Okay. Well, just reminding folks, of course, they can find Brandon on Twitter at the Sports Blitz, and excuse me, that the Sports Blitz one. It's a numeric one, and you can find both of us at the Baseball Biz on Twitter. So, if you'd like to send us anything there, also you can find us on most directories like iHeartRadio, Apple, Google Podcast, Stitcher, etc. And go ahead and like us, subscribe, or just go ahead and leave us some notes. We look forward to your participation and appreciate all that you do there. Well, Brandon, man, that's another great show. I mean, we're, we've talked about a lot of different things here. We talked about the free agency, Rule 5, Super 2s. Had a great opportunity by having Mr. Mark Wachowski with us, sharing his story about the Fresno Bees. Great columnist for the Fresno, uh, I'm sorry, the Fresno Grizzlies. He's with the Fresno Bee. And also, we talked about the minor leagues. We kind of skipped through some of what's happening, but we're going to take a deeper dive in that in future episodes. And if you want to read that article by Sarah Sanchez of bleedcubbyblue.com, you can go to my Twitter at the Sports Blitz one where I'll have it retweeted if you'd like to read it. So it, it definitely is something worth checking out. Please do. So, everybody, we thank you again. Again, I'm Mark Carpet, your host, and that's Brandon Noway. And once again, we want to thank you for staying here with us and on Baseball Biz. Look forward to uh, putting some other things together. If you've got any suggestions, leave them in our reviews or leave it on Twitter. And we'll talk with you again real soon. Also, a special thanks to X-Take RUX for the music Rocking Forward 